Welcome, welcome to the seventh episode of the Skillman Podcast, continuing the conversation. Uh, tonight is a wonderful night. This is Jake, by the way. Uh, John Mark is in Toronto tonight, and so tonight we have a special opportunity to hear from a couple of our uh, class teachers from the first session of classes this year of 2020. And so with us tonight, we have David and Lorna Griffin. David uh, and Lorna, say hello. 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 Yeah, hello. perfect, perfect. And uh, we have an audience tonight of two. Uh, it's a rainy, rainy night, a lot of stormy weather it looks like outside. And so we have an audience of two who have braved the elements to come and be with us. And uh, we might uh, hear from them a little bit later on in the podcast. But I'm excited for tonight because uh, David and Lorna have just wrapped up teaching a class called Art and Christianity. And this class, for the first five weeks of our class session in this calendar year, 2020, was focused on what are the different elements that go into uh, thinking about how art and Christianity are paired together. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend any of your classes. And so uh, I have no knowledge of what went on, of, uh, of what happened, of the paintings that you guys looked at and, and everything like that. But my wife was able to attend. And so I've heard a little bit of secondhand uh, of what happened during y'all's class. But before we get into that and before we talk about that, uh, I'm sure that everyone listening to this, uh, everyone in the room tonight uh, is well aware of who you are. But uh, just remind people of who you are. Tell them a little bit about yourself. How'd you come to Skillman? Uh, what have your careers been like? Uh, tell us about your family, anything that comes to mind. I'm Lorna Griffin. I uh, w was a career teacher. Um, I've been retired for a year and a half. I taught uh, AP Spanish and um, English. So I was a Spanglish teacher for 33 years. Wonderful. What about you, David? Uh, well, I started out uh, thinking I was going to be one thing and two things. Uh, a doctor and a baseball player in uh, the beginning of my junior year. I was neither one of those, and that's where art found me in college. So, um, and I've been doing that. I started that, and I was, uh, went to an art school. It was an illustrator's workshop for the summer of 1976, and I've been doing this ever since then. Wow, wow. And uh, t tell us about how you guys met. Uh, what, what, when did you guys meet? Where did you fall in love? What's the story? Well, we met at, at church in Lubbock, at Broadway Church of Christ. Uh, Lorna is a year younger than me, and the, the ironic story about this, and I'm sticking to this, is that my brother really had seen Lorna and mentioned to me, would I call her and ask if she would go out with him? <laughs> well, so I took the opportunity to say, uh, Sure, Mark, I'll do that. And then when I got on the phone, I asked her for myself. <laughs> and so he never got the chance, and I did. And I've been, the, and I was the luckiest, and still am the luckiest guy in the world uh, to be married. We've been married 45 years this past wow. December. Wow. So, Lorna, how long did it take David to tell you this story? I think I knew. I think I knew within a few weeks. Okay, yeah. He, he didn't hide it for years and no, years. And well, it, you know, there was a line of people that wanted to uh, get acquainted with Lorna. Mm -hmm. And so I happened to be able to call, and uh, she took my call, and then the rest is history. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on 45 years, and hopefully uh, another 45 still to come. Uh, wow, that would be something. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, 
let's let's talk about this class that you guys taught a little bit. Uh, I've noticed in in the couple of uh, class offerings that we've had so far, and the ones that are about to come up here, uh, not uh, uh, this next Sunday for us, but for our listeners the day before. Uh, but Sunday, March the first, is our next class offerings, and I've noticed that John Mark has this uncanny ability to get people who are a little reluctant to teach a class to agree to teach a class. And I think, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that was a little bit the case with you guys. So tell us, what was it like when John Mark asked you to teach a class, and how, how did you end up saying yes? Well, uh, I don't know when he talked to Lorna, but it, you and I, the three of us, were at lunch at uh, Dream Cafe. I remember this distinctly. And somewhere in the conversation he said, oh yeah, we're going to do these new classes and, and I think it'd be just wonderful. You know, he added all these adjectives to this wonderful request and, uh, that you teach a class and then we'll, t- then we'll have a painting class. We'll let you paint or they'll paint. And I thought, well, that'll be interesting. But anyway, so I, I don't think I even got to say yes. I just think he just said, <laughs> this is what we're going to do and you're it, tag, you're it. And... <laughs> I don't know if I'm. I was I never didn't. asked. <laughs> he just told me we were going to do it. But I disagree with you. I, uh, with the word reluctant, I think there are a lot of people here who have a lot of talent who don't mind sharing it. They just need to be asked. Mm. You know, I really do. Mm-hmm. I think I think people hold back, but if you ask them, they'll step forward and do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, from everything I've heard, uh, y'all's class was a, a, a smashing success. And uh, so whether John Mark uh, asked or not, uh, the result was you guys were willing to do it and did a fantastic job and people were blessed and were able to encounter uh, the, the idea of faith and Christianity in a way that was uh, relevant and meaningful to them. So we've, we've been in this season uh, at our church where John Mark and I have really been trying to emphasize the topic of faith. And what does that mean? And so even uh, with this podcast, we've been exploring faith for a couple of weeks and uh, asking uh, a few other people to contribute to that idea. And, uh, and so as we continue this conversation, I want to have that in the background, this idea of living by faith, of uh, trying to figure out what does this word mean? What, what does this lifestyle for us mean? And, and how are we contributing to that? And so uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your class. Uh, tell us how you guys went about preparing for it. Uh, tell us uh, what were the struggles, what were the things that you wish that you could have uh, included but you didn't have the chance to, what were the things that you decided to include. I mean, sky is the limit. Tell us about your class. When we first uh, thought about this, I was excited because I have never been able to watch Lorna teach, ever. So that was going to be good for me. And I knew how she prepared because I've watched her prepare of 35 years of school teaching, how she prepared each day or test and so forth. So I knew that it would be. So uh, right off the bat, we, she says, well, give me the information and I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And so we immediately get into an argument about what's going to be said <laughs> and how it's going to be said. But as the case is and has been, she's right. <laughs> and I uh, apologized again for my interruption and let her carry on. We started, and I'll start here and let you, we started with uh, the scripture in Genesis. uh, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We started with that, and then subsequent to that, 
God said, let there be light. So we use those, the creative part, create, being created and being created in God's image, if that's the case, and it is, then we take on a personality of being creative ourselves. And then later on we used light, let there be light as a metaphor, uh, and that, I'll explain that a little bit later if mm -hmm. we looked at the paintings. The way we structured the class is I did a lot of the historical context and background, and then David talked about the aesthetics and the painting themselves. I'm a docent at the Meadows Museum on the SMU campus, and rather than just have a, like an art history class, I kind of structured the class around five essential questions that we ask when we're doing tours at the, at the Meadows. And there were five questions that we structured each, each unit around. And the first one was, you know, why do we create and how? How is identity revealed? How does the painting reflect cultural values? And then how does the past affect the present? Mm -hmm. So we took, we took a question a week and worked through paintings and all of that and tried to weave scripture, you know, into it. Wow, wow. Well, uh, I can already tell I've got I've to do some work in the show notes because I think people are going to really want to hear those, uh, those questions again because I think uh, not only with art but just with e experiences in life, I think those are interesting questions to kind of ask yourself. Of, mm -hmm. uh, will you repeat it one, one more time? Mm-hmm. Why do we create and how? How is identity revealed in a painting? How does the painting reflect cultural values and what are those values? How does the past affect the present? Yeah, wow. Yeah, th so those are really great questions and really interesting uh, for us to think about. And I, so I'll include those into the show notes uh, so that people can read those and reflect on those and maybe even ask themselves uh, as they go about their everyday experiences uh, maybe they can reflect on those questions and say, uh, how am I living right now? And, and how do these questions line up with what's going on in my life? David, you brought up a really interesting passage of Scripture, and I certainly want to reflect on that for just a moment. Uh, the, the idea of Genesis 1, of God creating, and that we are co-creators now with God, and that God has imbued us with his image, his likeness. And so now we also take on, you said, the characteristics of God. And, and that first verse says that God is creative. So uh, elaborate a little bit more about maybe what that means for uh, the nature of God, if, if, you, if you can, and then uh, maybe what that means for us as people who are created in God's image. There's a number of places, in, and I can get to a few of them, but there are a number of places in Scripture, and we believe Scripture is, is ordained and, and Holy Spirit-led, so the words of Scripture are creative. And there are, there's poetry, and there's narrative, and there's um, questions, and there's questions answered. Uh, I think when I, one of the psalms that I've spoken to you about that I use quite a bit in my own, uh, that I've used in my own career of painting is Psalm 104. And it talks about God being wrapped in light as the clouds and he and it's almost an explanation as it's similar to the one that he gave Job when he but I don't think until we until this class came up had I ever put connected some of these dots so this was really a, a, a wonderful experience when you're going to teach someone something you have to or I have had to 
remember how I learned this, how I learned to paint, how I learned to read when the Bible became important to me. So those things were, I remembered those and I was reintroduced to some of these things that, that I hadn't thought of in a long time. So this was a really a lesson for me to learn about God again, mm -hmm. about how he, how he is uh, the wonderful creator and, and I happen to paint landscapes so I'm trying to paint a perfect nature in an imperfect way never being able to capture what I really see but trying to uh, in some way get close but uh, uh, attacking it or approaching it from uh, having it be the essence of what I'm looking at the spirit of what I'm looking at not trying to copy something. So that, again, I've begun to uh, appreciate the fact that I'm created in, in God's image for this purpose. One of the songs we used was 139. Um, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, you saw my unformed body in the secret place. You know, my frame was not hidden from you. Um, and we linked that to Michelangelo's uh, sculptures. There, There's... If you, if you visit the academy in Florence, and that's where you see the David, when you first walk in, there are these blocks of marble that are unfinished, and he calls them prisoners or slaves. Mm -hmm. And he, he never finished them. But um, when asked about his sculpture, he said that he didn't create any of those. They were already in the marble. He just freed them, you know. And so we we kind of took that idea and ran with it that it's the same same with us with God you know he he saw the potential you know in us he already knew who we were and he's just freeing us in this world and polishing us and and uh making us a master his masterpieces <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's really beautiful and uh helps us connect i think a lot of times we think of god as uh you know almost this stoic figure you know god is up there and uh, he's very serious, and he is uh, looking down upon creation uh, either uh, happily but, but not overly happy uh, or so in sorrow. You know, almost uh, things have gone so, so poorly, so wrong. But this image is almost a God that's uh, smiling and, and mm -hmm. joyful and creative, this God who looks at a, a, a piece of stone and says, I see what that, the potential of that. You know, there's a, a, an author, uh, English author named G.K. Chesterton, and uh, he, he writes about uh, the, uh, the way that the sun rises every morning. And you would, you would think, okay, the sun rises every morning. We, we've even gotten to the point where we can, we can time it. You know, we can tell you exactly the minute that the sun is going to ri uh, uh, rise every morning. And uh, G.K. Chesterton said, perhaps the reason for that is not because creation is dull and boring, but because God never tires of seeing what he has created. Mm -hmm. And so the sun rises, it's very predictable, but God has never tired uh, of, of seeing the beauty in every sunrise. And so even though it happens all the time, over and over again, it's not a dull thing. It's not something that vanishes into the background. It's something that brings great joy. And God is smiling and laughing every time he sees it because of how beautiful it is. I think you guys have done a great job of helping us to connect with that. Uh, so, Lorna, you mentioned um, Michelangelo's David and some of the sculptures that he uh, finished or, or wasn't even quite yet able to finish. So tell us about some of the other works of art that you guys uh, were able to look at and, uh, and to spend some time with during this class. And uh, for, for our listeners, I want you to know that uh, we're going to put 
a link to each image in the show notes as well. And so as they're talking, if you want to go find that link uh, and click on it, you'll be able to see the work uh, that, that, that they're referencing to. So tell us about some of, some of the other works of art. There were two pieces. <clears throat> uh, there are two paintings that really resonated with, with our class. In fact, we would have to go back and revisit them the next Sunday. One of them is by uh, Andrew Wyeth, and it was called Pentecost. Um, <clears throat> and I'll let David really kind of talk about these paintings. And the second one was called Jerusalem by uh, Jerome. He's a French painter. So you want to kind of tell them what the paintings look like? And One of them's a lot more obvious uh, in the title. Well, both titles are obvious what they are. But the Jerusalem painting I first saw in, the, in, in Paris in the uh, Musée d'Orsay, and it's in a room that was... Uh, two other, three other paintings, but it's on a wall by itself, and the room in that wall is very dark, except the light is, is the only light it's on the wall is directed and cut out to the frame of the painting. Mm. And when I saw that, I was just awestruck, because it's not obvious, and you'll have to, and we'll put this painting on as a, as a link so you can see it, but it's not obvious what's going on, but basically, to explain it is, you see the shadow and that's all you see the, of the three people on the cross Jesus in the middle and the two robbers or thieves on the other side either side and that's all you see is the shadow you don't see the cross upright you see the shadow that's thrown the, thrown against the ground from the light and everyone's leaving you can see everyone going back to Jerusalem down the hill through the through uh, the Mount of Olives down through to Jerusalem and, and our, our question to the class that day was, what were they talking about? Some of them had to be there. Maybe a Roman soldier, was that was his detail for the day. But there were some people that probably had come out to see. Some people were happy. We've, we've, we've done away with this insurgent, this rebel. Some people were completely distraught. This is the Messiah. This is my Savior. What will I do now? So it was a real interesting class to uh, first show the painting. Mm -hmm. And a lot you can miss those shadows of the cross of the crucifixion if you're not careful because the line of the painting follows the people leaving and going back to Jerusalem. So there were a few people who didn't really see the crosses at first. You know, uh, one of the things we we talked about is about you know, what's the story in a painting? Because many times when you look at a painting, the first story you see, the first thing you see is really not what the painting's about. And you have to begin to peel back the layers to find out what the real story is. And I think the reason the class liked these two paintings in particular is that they get to finish the story, you know? Um, once the painting leaves the artist's studio and becomes public domain, it's, it's the viewer that gets to tell the story. And we all come to a painting with different different backgrounds, different knowledge, and so each viewer is going to make a different connection with that painting and probably have a different story to it. So that's when we put the story with it. We had them pretend like they were a journalist for Beth, you know, for the Jerusalem News or something, mm, and they yeah. were doing a report. And, and what, what were their headlines when they got back to the, to the office, you know, wow. after what they had witnessed? Mm, yeah. And then Pentecost was is much, is a much more simp. It's a much simpler painting. It's just fishing nets out by the sea, and you can tell the wind's blowing. 
there are no figures in it. It's a very peaceful painting to look to look at. Um, I didn't know the background of the of the painting. David had a story about what had happened there. Um, Andrew Wyatt is a uh, one of my favorite painters and has been for since I started doing this. His father, N. C. Wyatt, was one of the best illustrators and illustrated all the Robin Hood and Knights of the Round Table and all the mythic heroes and uh, larger-than-life heroes. This particular painting, Pentecost, uh, was really painted in, in response to a story that Andrew Wyeth had read that a young lady had gone out with a group of friends or family and, uh, in a and the storm had come up and she had been thrown overboard and never recovered and never found until she washed up on this shore. And this painting, it's, it's uh, fishing nets that are hung on five different poles, Penta, five. And this is an example to me, I and mean, I think to others, but now I know a little bit of the background. I don't know of Andrew Wyatt's faith. It's never mentioned. I have probably a dozen books of his, and I've never. But his, his uh, reason for painting this was was of course just to kind of pay tribute to the this is an island that the Wyeth family owns mm. and so he's paying tribute to the fishermen and so forth but his intent was that my when I first saw this painting was a completely different this is I'm the viewer and so I get to finish the story the way mm. I want to yeah and so I took this as Fishers of men. This is Pentecost. This is Acts, and 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 uh, the apostles were sent to be fishers of men, and so that's always held a real special place. It's maybe one of my favorite paintings of all time, and it's a very simple painting, but it holds a lot of uh, meaning. That if I was, if I'd ever had a, a reason to sit down with Andrew Wyeth and ask him about this painting, he may be completely surprised at my. Uh, my explanation of how it affects me, maybe he wouldn't be, but that's one thing about art. Once it does leave the studio, the viewer is the one that dots the I's and crosses the T's and, and finishes and, and, and makes, takes the mystery and makes it reality. Yeah. And I, I saw the wind in it. I, the, the, the nets are blowing. You can tell the wind's blowing. Um, you know, when it was at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first descended, you know, and it was the first time we really witnessed God's character and his power and his authority. And um, that's what resonated with me is, you know, because there had to be this wind, you know. And I think Andrew Wyeth may have attributed those, those characteristics, the power and the authority to the sea that had mm -hmm. taken this, this young woman. But it's a very peaceful painting to look at, yeah. you know. Wow. I love this idea, and I, th I, think, uh, I think there's some really really good uh, nuggets in it uh, that we can, we can take and we can use as we talk about our own faith and how are we going to uh, read Scripture, how are we going to apply Scripture. Uh, so, so help us make some connections with this because this idea of uh, the, the viewer of the painting or maybe if we apply it to reading of Scripture, the reader of Scripture is the one who is uh, applying meaning, uh, the one who is uh, interpreting what, what comes out of the text. So Make some uh, make some comments about this because I think I think this will really help uh, how we read scripture and it really gives us a, a way of understanding what is our role when we come to the Bible. 
I read a quote from a, an artist, and I'm not, I can't even recall who it, the artist is, but he was asked a question and he said, well, how can I expect a visitor to a museum to come in and see one of my pieces of sculpture or one of my paintings and he's gonna spend five or 10 minutes with it, something I've spent sometimes a year on. He's not gonna know, and I can't expect him to know what he'll know until he'll spend 30 days with it or multiple times the museum. And this is another example of how this was reminding me about how I read scripture. The first time I read something, if I've, I've read through the Bible, so I'm familiar with most of the stories firsthand. And, but I think when you read it and then reread it and you spend time with scripture, it takes on a whole, it just like the viewer of a painting or viewer of a piece uh -huh. of art, it's gonna take on a completely different, deeper meaning. Sometimes maybe something, you'll see a word that you never saw before. So I think it just reminded me of how important it is to be a student of scripture and, and uh, study it the way I would want someone to study one of my paintings, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to become familiar with it and know and find things that are, you didn't see the first time. And art, to really appreciate art, you have to slow down, <laughs> you know, and it allows you to connect, I think, on a deeper, a deeper level without words. And do you mind if I read a quote Please. from yeah. uh, Beekner? Literature, painting, music. The most basic lesson that art allows us is to stop, look, and listen to life on this planet, including our own lives, as a vastly richer, deeper, more mysterious business than most of the time ever occurs to us because we bumble along from day to day on automatic pilot in a world that for the most part steers clear of the whole idea of holiness art is one of those few places left where we can speak to each other of holy things yeah wow yeah. well and and you know that just responding to that quote it, it makes me think of uh, i mean just as throughout history the people who have caused whole societies to reflect on who they are and what, it, what is their legacy going to be has been the artists, has been the people who have taken the time to stop and slow down and say, this is, this is what we're leaving behind. And if we don't stop and change now to do something different, uh, we're gonna leave a worse world. And so it's the artists who are the ones who, who bring out the best sometimes, because they, they point out the worst in order to bring out the best. Uh, and, and so that, uh, that Beekner mm -hmm. quote just kind of makes me think of uh, slowing down and saying, how are we gonna really pay attention to what we need to be as a people? Uh, and so I think that really helps with when, when we engage scripture of this idea of slowing down, spending time with it. Uh, and David, you're absolutely right. Every, every person I've ever met who has read the Bible says, uh, I read it one day and I think I know what it means and then I read it again a little while later and it means something completely new to me, something totally different. And I think that's the work of the Spirit uh, working on us and helping us to understand and. Uh, to grow and to change and to allow God to change us. Uh, and I, I think that uh, we see that uh, every person that I'm, I'm aware of, uh, that's kind of their story and kind of uh, how they understand faith and understand reading of Scripture. And I think that's a result of one of the, the questions, the essential questions I ask is, how does the past affect the present? Because every time you look at a, a piece of art or read a piece of literature or 
listen to a piece of beautiful piece of music, you know, you're looking at it with more mature eyes and more experience and, and, and you bring something different to it so you get something different out of it. Yeah, yeah. It takes on a new meaning. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's expand the conversation a little bit wider. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about your class. We've talked about some of the, the works that you guys encountered. Uh, but let's expand it to a, to a, a larger scale. And let's talk about art, uh, on, uh, art and Christianity for uh, as much of its history as we can think of, <laughs> as we can remember. Uh, and for you guys, that's going to be a lot more than me. So I'm going to rely on you guys during this part of the conversation. But uh, I think uh, that art has been... Uh, has served an incredibly important role. And I'm looking to you guys to tell me if this is correct or incorrect and why it might be this way. But I think uh, my assumption is that art has done more than any other medium uh, to help us pass faith from one generation to the next. So more than reading scripture, uh, more than preaching sermons, uh, as important as those things are, I think art has done more uh, to help us pass faith from one generation to the next. So tell me if, that's, if that sounds correct to you, uh, if you have any evidence one way or the other, uh, or if it sounds totally bogus and totally, totally wrong to you. One of the paintings that we, uh, early on, maybe the first session, maybe the first Sunday, was we talked about uh, the Last Supper. And uh, the, the first part of this is that, it, is that he, it was painted on plaster, but it was painted, it was an experiment with watercolor, not not painted in wet plaster, the plaster had dried, so that's why it's been. But the story behind all the all the characters, and it's interesting just to pick out each member there, each each apostle represented, and how they're interacting with each other. And this was, uh, of course, painted when uh, a, not a lot of people could could read, and so this was the story of the Last Supper before Christ's, uh, the trial and so forth. And uh, it's just interesting to see uh, how the artist characterized each one of the, in his own mind, how he did that, how he, how he put personality to each apostle. Uh, well, <clears throat> one of the themes that ran through all five weeks was um, how do we create order out of chaos? How does the artist do that? And um, we talked about how in, throughout, throughout history, you know, in times of chaos, art would reflect the values, you know. And always in art, um, in the arts, philosophy is the first thing that comes along you know, and changes, changes the thinking of the culture, and then it's reflected in the art. And we got into, we didn't just do religious art, we did some secular art. You know, we talked about, you know, Picasso and his response to, to Nietzsche's philosophy. We talked about Dali and his response to Freudian philosophy. But we referenced a book uh, written by Francis Schaeffer called How Then Should We Live?, and we changed it to, the, to how then should we look. You know, as a Christian, you, you want art in times of chaos that will uplift you, that will encourage you. And um, we went back to Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely. And then David just kind of ran, went through some, some paintings that made him feel those things, you know, that, that focus on truth. So I think, 
I think as Christians, you know, it's, it's, it's as important at, at your, what you look at, mm. you know, and, and, what is your, and what truth is and what you see truth in beauty and art. Um, I, think, I think your choice of art is as important as anything else, yeah. you know, because you can, you can focus on the negative and get pretty dragged down, you know, because yeah. a lot of art can be very negative, especially contemporary art. We talked about some of those pieces that just don't have a lot of hope in them, mm. you know. Wow. One of the other things that we uh, kind of, to connect with what Lorna just said, was working... Uh, most artists that I know start with a small, very small idea. I work uh, somewhat similar to that, but I'll, I'll work from a point of chaos because I'm trying to find one point that makes sense. But two artists that, we, uh, that we've kind of focused on uh, were the artists of the Renaissance and, of course, at the, and then the artists of the Reformation. And... The artists of the Renaissance were really more, uh, for the most part, were very uh, interested in the human body and the human condition, and that's what they were glorifying the human, the human figure. And of course, at the end of the uh, Renaissance, and and the Renaissance and the Reformation dovetail, but in the North, the churches were starting to. Uh, at, at the beginning of the Reformation, feel the 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 anger and the angst of the uh, leadership, and so the art was taken out of most churches. So we're we're dealing with, and one of the artists that we talked about that dealt with all this was Rembrandt, and he was, uh, of course, from the Netherlands and Dutch, and he he was. He was affected by this. But throughout his entire life, the entire body of his paintings, he kept, he, was, he stayed true to the faith that he had. And that's why he continued to paint the prodigal son or Jesus on the cross or uh, any, other, any number of other Bible stories. Uh, and he had his own crisis. He, he dealt with uh, his own faith and the... Uh, he'd lost all of his children, uh, died broke, and was buried in a pauper's grave after all this wealth and su- success that he'd had. But until the, uh, till the very end, he, it, at least in my eyes, he stayed faithful to the work he was doing, which was talking about stories and narrative, but a lot of them were Bible stories. And, and we're, we're all fortunate to be able to see those and and relive the story through his eyes. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really amazing. And, and you know, something I, I I honestly didn't expect this to come up tonight. But now that you're saying it, it, it really resonates with me, and I, I hope it uh, makes sense to to our listeners. But that art has served uh, as a way of grounding faith uh, as well. That in the midst of the chaos, uh, you, you can focus in on on the detail, uh, on saying, okay. You know, there's, there's the whirlwind is all around me, but let me focus in on this. And uh, you know, you talk about Rembrandt and uh, his his work of the Prodigal Son, the Return of the Prodigal Son. And uh, is that painting in Saint Petersburg? Is that is that where that is? Does that sound correct? I believe so. Uh, it, it's either that or the Rock Museum. Okay. In, in, but I'm in Amsterdam. But I'm... that was one of the pieces we looked at, yeah. and because um, Rembrandt said, 
he believed that the faith of the father was what sustained him mm. for the time, you know, that the prodigal son was, you know, wandering around and he yeah. didn't know where he was or, you know, and I, I think Rembrandt was probably talking about himself as well because he went through some, he had a really hard life, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he made a lot of money, but he spent a lot of money and ended up broke and like David said, he lost all his children, he lost his wife and ended up, being buried in a pauper's grave, and I think it was his faith that sustained him because you, you can look at his art, and his depiction of Jesus is so much different from the Renaissance pictures of Jesus. I mean, he, he's real, uh, he's relatable. He doesn't look otherworldly like mm -hmm. the, the Renaissance uh, painters do. And I, he, he, even though Da Vinci made this statement, I, I saw it more in Rembrandt's work, but Da Vinci said, when the spirit does not work with a hand, mm. there is no art. Mm. But you can see the spirit in his art. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think it grounded him through, through times of chaos. Wow. Well, and uh, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and I know uh, David Williams is, is here in our audience, and I know he uh, has encountered this book too, and perhaps more in the room have, but uh, Henry Nouwen. Uh, reflected on that painting and, and just like you were saying earlier took the time to slow down mm -hmm. and sat before that painting for weeks uh, just looking at it hour after hour day after day and uh, and luckily he had the ability to do that because he produced uh, this fantastic little book reflecting on uh, on that painting and, and drawing out the themes uh, that he saw and interpreting it through his experience and through what he was able to understand but I love that idea of uh, of that art being able to ground not only the painter but also the viewer, as you come to it, you can say, okay, no matter what's going on uh, in my life, I can stop, I can slow down, and uh, this painting that gives me hope, this painting that reminds me of stories that are found in scripture, uh, will really help to ground me and to remind me of why I believe what I believe and why I do what I do. Uh, one, one more artist, I don't know if you guys are, uh, know, know much about this, this guy, but I'll, I'll throw him out there and, and maybe our listeners can, uh, can look into it and find out more if they want to, but uh, his name is Gustave Doré. Are you guys familiar with him? He's a French guy. I was introduced to him a couple of years ago, and he did something very similar uh, where he created these wood uh, prints, uh, and they told the story of Scripture because of uh, something, David, you had mentioned a moment ago, was uh, during a time of illiteracy. Uh, now, he was living in uh, the 17th century, I believe, uh, and so uh, he's kind of right on the, right on the heels of uh, what, what you're talking about with the invention of the printing press and literacy becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Uh, but he's creating these images of, of Bible stories so that common people can encounter the words of Scripture. And uh, so the, the one that I'm uh, most familiar with is his Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones uh, painting, because I got to spend a couple of summers working at an organization ministry called Dry Bones, and that was a painting that we reflected on uh, while I worked there, and uh, uh, not a painting, a, a wood carving. And it was this just amazing way of encountering and, and being able to tell the story, uh, being able to be faithful to the story, and relay the story from one group to the next, from one person to another. And uh, so, anyways, if you're a listener and if, if that sounds interesting to you, you know, you can look up uh, Mr. Dore as well. Well, uh, Kind of following up on this conversation and trying to continue it and, and move to the next little question here. Uh, do you think that we gain something significant uh, by telling the, the Christian story through art and through visual image? Uh, do you think we gain something? And also, do you think we lose anything by doing that? I, well, 
I'm going to be biased here and say that we gain something. But and I think when you do spend time and you slow down and you're able to uh, look at how someone interpreted a Bible story with visual a visual vocabulary, um, there may be six people standing around you, and I dare say if you ask all six of them, they may all say, well, this reminds me of my first time I heard this, or this reminds me of last week's sermon, or, or maybe it doesn't remind them anything about the Bible, but there's something good that they feel. And uh, I think that's why we use that scripture in Philippians. It was so important of uh, whatever, so whatever things are, are true and uh, honorable and lovely and the list, I can't remember all the uh, adjectives, but I, th I think there is something to the fact that stories can be told, and, and I think that's how we live our lives in stories, and so this is a, a visual way to uh, remind ourselves, maybe maybe introduce our, someone to, to a story. I would say that if you did this with children, I, I, I would... I would venture a guess that if you had a, a visual to go along with the story, they're going to remember the picture as, many, as much as they would the words, maybe even more. So I think it is a powerful medium to use. I think the only thing you lose is noise, the noise, you know, because you do have to slow down. I think what you gain is contemplation and meditation. And uh, I think you have to have those to truly worship. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever read that book called Quiet. No, I haven't. It's about introverts, but um, the author was talking about how these big mega churches don't always appeal to some of the more introverted people, the quiet people, uh, because they need they need time to just reflect and meditate, and not just be surrounded with noise and big lights and you know big sound bands you know at the front of the, they they need the quiet time to meditate. Yeah. You wow. know, silence. I think silence is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we are uh, uh, nearing the end of our, of our time together tonight, so I, I want to ask at least one more question, and then if you guys have any questions or if the audience wants to bring up any, uh, any uh, questions or ideas uh, before we go, we certainly can try to do that. But uh, as, as we kind of uh, wrap this, this conversation up, and, and uh, of course, uh, our conversation is ending, but hopefully uh, the true conversation is just beginning with our listeners and amongst our, our, our church body and community of faith. But as we think about this, uh, uh, can you guys provide any uh, any ways that people can encounter uh, these paintings? Uh, is there a website that they can go to? Or is there a podcast that uh, that covers this? Is there a book that they need to buy? To uh, is there just do they just need to go to a museum? Uh, where, where do people go to encounter more of these uh, these works of art that can help them as they as they think about faith and Christianity? I don't think anything takes the place of seeing something in person. Not not a printed image or or. Uh is to view the original in person. So I would encourage, uh, and we've got a number of museums in this area that have uh, the, the meadows where Lorna's a docent happens to speak to the uh, spiritual uh, aspect, m maybe more than most, uh, because of the paintings that that family started to collect and that, the ones that, are, that they continue to collect. And that's it's mostly Spanish art. So you have a, uh, certainly have a strong uh, church uh, influence. But uh, I think you can't take the place of, of seeing something in, in 
seeing the original in person. Uh, and give it time to speak to you. It, there's going to be, there'll be a conversation that may surprise you if you stand long enough, if you give yourself enough time to have those, have that feedback come back to you in, in, in kind of uh, unique ways. Uh, I have that same, when I go to museums, I have that same sense of awe and that same sense of wonderment that I feel when I go in the big cathedrals that I've been in in Europe, you know, that were built in the 1600s. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's, uh, you're just taken to a celestial space, I, th I think, yeah. you know. One of the experiences we had just recently to, to speak to that, we were in Barcelona and uh, we went to the Gaudí uh, Sagrada Familia and it's a, it's a cathedral that's been uh, start, started by uh, Gaudí, the, the, uh, the designer and architect, and uh, it's still not finished. And I believe it's going on 100 years mm -hmm. and they're trying to finish it in 20 2026. 2026. Yeah, I think this, they've been building it for 115 years, I think. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but while we were there, it was such a wonderful experience because the, uh, the Benedictine nuns uh, had recorded singing Ave Maria. Wow. And then they prayed, and then, they, then the bells sounded. And standing in there, you, uh, there were a number of people that were praying during these, there's military, there's, Hundreds of people milling around, but they could, f and it's, it was really such a special time because, in spite of the chaos and the noise around you, if you sat and viewed the Christ, if you listened to the song, uh, there was really a special way to connect in a, in a really profound way. And so, that's another way to see art and, and have it uh, connect with you spiritually, too. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, we need to do a good job of uh, visiting and supporting our local museums and uh, perhaps even uh, organizing some trips and maybe even some worldwide trips. I don't know. But uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of good art out there, a lot of good places to go and view art and uh, to encounter uh, this, this faith that we have and to encounter the God that we hold our faith in. So we have uh, reached the end of our time. Our listeners, uh, turns out they've arrived at their destination. They've finished washing the dishes. They've walked the dog, uh, and they're back home now. And uh, so our time is, is just about up. And I just want to say thank you to David and Lorna uh, for being so thoughtful and, and for uh, teaching this class and for spending a little bit of time with us and, and explaining some of these ideas and helping us as we try to grow in our faith. And uh, so thank you guys for the time that you guys spent with us. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Continuing the Conversation. So until then, uh, we'll say goodbye, and we'll see you then. 